You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Powerful video. Great reminder that we matter to God more than we probably know or will ever realize in this lifetime how much we matter to God and all that God has done to, again, demonstrate um, that to us. Last Sunday, we kind of started talking about the whole subject of miracle signs and wonders and that they're found throughout the whole Bible, especially in the New Testament and especially in the life of Jesus, the apostles, and in the early church. And I defined a miracle as something that is humanly impossible but divinely simple. Humanly impossible but divinely simple for God. I also defined it as explosions of almightiness. I like that. I believe signs, miracles, and wonders are just as much a part of the church today, the life of believers today, as it was in the days of Jesus, the apostles, and the early church. I don't think anything has changed. Last week, we started talking about the three main purposes uh, for miracles the signs and the wonders. And again, they were for authentication, revelation, and glorification. And oftentimes, Jesus would use miracles to authenticate that he was who he claimed to be, God's son, the Messiah. And that what he said was absolute truth always. God will use miracles, signs, and wonders to authenticate that what believers claim concerning who Jesus is and What God's word says is absolute truth. God also uses miracles, signs, and wonders for the purpose of revelation, to reveal the person of Jesus. We see this clearly in the transfiguration of Jesus in which several of the disciples are able to see the glory of God that was inside of Jesus and they were given a momentary opportunity to see that glory come forth. And finally, Jesus uses miracles, signs, and wonders to bring glory to himself. That he and he alone is the one who is glorified and honored and thanked and recognized for what he is doing. To reveal his true goodness, his kindness, his mercy, and his grace. Now the one thing I find particularly interesting is that every miracle, sign, and wonder Jesus did and that was recorded in the Gospels was for the purpose of revealing something to us concerning the nature and the character of God. And we know that according to John 21, verse 25, it says Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, if they had all been recorded, John says the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Now the implication there is, is that Jesus did so many things, so many miracles, signs, and wonders that were never recorded in any of the Gospels. So why did the disciples choose to record certain miracles, signs, and wonders and omit many, many others? Well, we know one reason, it's just the sheer volume of them. I think the other reason is the Holy Spirit 
highlighted certain ones as the disciples are, are recording their gospels. The Holy Spirit is inspiring them. He's speaking to them. He's moving in their hearts. Record this one. Talk about this one. No, don't mention that one. No, no, I don't want you to do this one. Do this one. Because I think he is taking these miracles that have happened, these signs and these wonders, and he's using them as opportunities to show and to reveal to something uh, to us about the nature and the character of God. Let me just give you an example of what I mean. And this is kind of a, a bigger, wider picture. You can do this with each individual miracle. But let's take a breakdown of just Matthew chapter 8. Now in verses one through 17, we have Jesus' power over sickness. In verses 18 through 27, we have Jesus' power demonstrated over nature. Now let's go back and let's break down uh, verses one through 17 of Matthew 18. And we have three miracles of healing there. In verses one through four, Jesus heals leprosy. In verses five through 13, he heals the palsy, and now in the Greek, that's the word paralysis. He was, the, the man was paralyzed. In 14 through 15, Jesus heals a fever. Now let's go back again. In verses one through four, Jesus heals a Jew. In verses five through 13, he heals a Gentile. In verses 14 through 15, he heals a Jew. Let's go back again. In verses one through four, Jesus heals a man. In verses five through 13, he heals a boy. In verses 14 through 15, he heals a woman. Let's go back again. In verses one through four, Jesus heals by touching. In verses five through 13, he heals by speaking. In verses 14 through 15, he heals by touching. Let's go back one more time. Verses one through four, Jesus heals on the spot right where he was. Verses five through 13, he heals from a distance. And verses 14 through 15, Jesus heals on the spot. What does all this prove? What does all this show? What does this demonstrate? Acts 10 through 13, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all, all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. These three opening verses of Matthew 1 through 17 of Matthew 8 tells us it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, male or female, Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what your level in society is, rich or poor, whether you're a centurion or Peter's mother-in-law or a leper in the lowest of society. It doesn't matter. Jesus heals all. It validates what Peter stated in Acts 10, 34. He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So God's healing is available to everyone without exception. Again, these healing miracles. And there, as we looked at Matthew 8, reveals something to us regarding the nature and the character of God. Last week I made this statement, the message always trumps the miracle, the word of God always trumps the experience. So this morning I wanna look at one of those healing miracles where I believe that is part of the main point of what Jesus is trying to make. So let's look at uh, John's gospel, the fourth chapter, beginning there in verse 43, and there it says, now after two days Jesus departed from there and he went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his home country. So Jesus went and he came to Galilee and the Galileans received him having seen 
all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. So when Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee where he had made water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, and when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So Jesus came out of Judea and he has come into Galilee And it says, some of the Galileans had been with him there in Judea. And many wonderful things had happened down in Judea, and the Galileans had seen it. And now as they come back, they're ready to listen to him. But I want you to notice what it says. So when Jesus came to Galilee, Galileans receiving him, having seen all the things Jesus did. Now the reason I point that out is because they were ready to accept Jesus, to receive him based upon what they had seen him do. They had had enough miracles to have respect for Jesus. They had seen enough of the miraculous to, to now where they're ready to receive him. To them, Jesus is this mighty miracle worker. And Jesus has done so much supernatural stuff in front of their eyes, they are now ready to acclaim him. They are now ready to receive him. Now here's the thing I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind as you're going to discover as this miracle unfolds is that Jesus is using this miracle in part to expose what could very easily become immature baby faith. And that is a faith that is solely based on the miraculous. It's only believing because there's a supernatural wonder happening right in front of your eyes. Now John tells us that an official man is seeking out Jesus. He's looking for him because his son is terminally ill. I don't know what position this official held. Doesn't really matter. Biblical scholars suggest this man may have been someone who had access to the palace of King Herod. He was possibly someone who could be a part of the royal court, maybe had some kind of a very prestigious assignment that was given to him. He seems to have been a very rich man, a very powerful, a very influential man. His uniform alone would tell you that he belonged to the court of King Herod. Now at some point, this nobleman, he has heard stories, he's heard the rumors of what Jesus has done. As a matter of fact, the whole country at that time would have just been ablaze with all of the miraculous things that Jesus had done. And certainly what Jesus did there in Capernaum, you remember Jesus had turned water into wine there at Canaan, and and that made the rounds uh, for a long time. 
And so this nobleman, he hears that Jesus has come into Galilee and he has a very, very particular interest in finding Jesus because his son was very sick, terminally sick. In fact, the doctors probably would have told him it could be any day now. And so this man gets on his horse and he goes about 20 miles from Capernaum to Canaan. He has got to get to Jesus and as he comes, you gotta understand, this is a father who is desperate. He is hopeless. He is in despair. He is distressed. His son is terminally ill. It's only a matter of hours or days before he dies. And he comes to find Jesus without stopping into Canaan. And I would guess he probably gets there like around 12 noon. And he's probably been just riding furiously all morning. Now stop and ask yourself, what is the substance of his faith? What does he believe? His faith is, is he's heard Jesus is a miracle worker. He's heard that Jesus does supernatural stuff. That's all he needs to know. If Jesus does miracles, especially healing miracles, then I have got to find him and bring him back to my house to heal my son. That's his mission, that's his goal. And this man is someone who is used to getting people to do what he says. This official is someone when he speaks, you listen, he says jump, you say how high. He belonged to the court of King Herod. Now the implication in the scriptures is this nobleman is insistent in his plea to Jesus. The idea here in the Greek is this man comes to Jesus begging. And, and he requests of Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but he just keeps on making the same request over and over and over and over. And the Greek word there suggests that this man basically pestered Jesus. And whether Jesus was preaching or teaching or whatever he was doing, this man does not let up in his persistence of Jesus. This man just keeps telling Jesus, you gotta stop what you're doing. You gotta come with me to my home. You gotta heal my son because he's dying. And the fact, it says here that he was persistent, that he begged, suggests Jesus didn't do anything at first. The man is making this repeated request of Jesus and Jesus doesn't respond for whatever reason. And so this man just keeps on insisting and requesting and begging and persisting of Jesus. And it wouldn't say that unless Jesus immediately responded to the man's request. Jesus just lets him have his say. Man says, I want you to come down to Capernaum and I want you to heal my son and we gotta leave now. And Jesus' response when he finally does talk and notice Jesus does not say what he did directly to the man because it's, uh, the words there are in the plural. It's translated in the Greek and he says, unless you people. He wasn't talking to this particular man. He's addressing a whole group of people. Now that group of people could have possibly have been Galileans because remember what I said, they believed Jesus, they'd seen his miracles, they're ready now to receive him. As I stated earlier, that's partially what miracles are for, to reveal who Jesus is. 
So Jesus has this reputation that he does wonderful stuff. He's a miracle worker, so we're ready to believe in him. It could be, however, that Jesus had seen the clothes of the man, recognized him as someone from Herod's court, and he may have been saying, you people, in reference to Herod's court. In Herod's court back in those days, if, if you were a juggler, if you could do magic tricks, come on in. Because Herod had a nonstop 24-7 festival going. Herod's mentality at that time was to bring in all the entertainment you could as much and as often as possible. Eat, drink, be merry, be entertained all the time. And anytime someone came by and said they could perform miracles and, you know, wonders, you know, Herod booked them for a week's engagement, somebody to have in the royal banquet room. And it could be Jesus is referring to the Herodians, the whole political party that was around Herod's court. But whoever they were, you know the kind of people Jesus is talking about. He said, if you see a miracle, if I see a miracle with my own eyes, I'll believe it. If not, forget it. Whoever they were, Galileans or Herodians, Jesus said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now again, it's important to get this straight in our minds. We've gotta understand this expression, miracle signs and wonders. And I talked about that last week. If you read through the Gospels, you'll come across this expression many, many times. Miracle signs and wonders. Now wonder in the Greek language, it just simply means Wonder, it means the sheer miraculous. That is something that is kind of just totally beyond explanation. I see it, but I really can't explain it. It's the extraordinary. Wonder is the unusual to the point where I am just absolutely speechless. I look at it and words just kind of fail to explain it. It's a wonder. Wonder is a word which describes the effect of the mighty works of God that it has on those who see it. When I see the wonder of God, I am almost just struck dumb with wonder. That's the meaning of the word. You could put it like this. It's the wake-up call. When you see the wonder, you're kind of just shaken out of your earthbound existence. It's kind of God's alarm clock going off in your ear. Wake up. It makes a person shake their head and it leaves them in a state where they're now ready to hear what God has to say. You might say as far as evangelism, Jesus' evangelism and early church evangelism, uh, this was the basis. People saw the wonder, and when they saw the wonder, they were ready to move on to the next word, which is sign. We talked about this last week. A sign is just what it means. It's a sign. It's, it's like a signpost. And again, the whole point is we want to stay at the wonder, we're kind of like the disciples with Jesus there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Can we, just, can we just build homes up here? Can we just stay here in this place of wonder, this place of amazement? We want to stay at the wonder. It is so wonderful what God is doing. Can we just stay and, and, and just wonder at the wonder a little bit more? But the Bible says the wonder leads 
to a sign. And the sign always points away from itself. When you see a signpost, you don't say, we're here. The signpost tells you you're on the way. You're heading in the right direction. The signpost points away from itself and says, don't stop here. Keep on going. The wonder is a sign that points away from itself and it begins to introduce us to the real nature, character, and purpose of God that is revealed in Jesus. I've come to know who he is because of the sign. It tells me who he really is. A sign and a wonder. Now listen carefully. If you've only got the wonder without the sign, it's just razzle-dazzle time. It's just entertainment. It's just temporary excitement. That's why the Bible always speaks of signs and wonders. Never just wonders alone. So important to understand that. Many times you'll read of just a sign, but you will never read of just a wonder. There are many times Things that are signs which point us to the heart of God but are not necessarily wonders. But when God does something, it is always a sign and a wonder which points us, it leads us, it's taking us to the heart of God. And so signs and wonders are two sides of the same event. Now, it is interesting to me, this is the only time in John's gospel that sign and wonder is ever mentioned. It's mentioned many other times in the other gospels, but John continually from the beginning to the end of his gospel talks about signs, but he never talks about signs and wonders except this one time. I believe it is because he is emphasizing here that the Jews, the Galileans, the Herodians were taken up and they were obsessed with miracles and wonders. John's been talking about signs. These people are saying, wonders, wonders, miracles, miracles, entertainment, entertainment, razzle, dazzle. They want to be entertained. They want to be fascinated by miracles. They want to see the power of God. They're obsessed with seeing God's power in body so much so they just can't wait for the next miracle. They're so addicted. And their faith? Well, it is faith. Jesus did accept it as faith, but they're walking on very thin water here. It can go either way. The people that saw the wonder of the miracle of the fish and the bread multiplying are the same ones who said, enough of him, we're out of here. And that took less than 24 hours. Faith that is based on miracles and sustained by wonders alone is very fragile. It can easily become immature baby faith. It's a matter of being linked to Jesus solely 
by the miraculous, by the love of the sensational and the spectacular. You cannot, you will not build faith, mature faith, on wonders alone. You have to move on from the wonder, get to the sign, and follow the sign. And then we see what this is saying to me about the nature and the character of God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith, not by sight. The miraculous, the, the, the one, it's, it's all sight. If I don't have it, I don't have faith. I can't walk. I, I need to see the wonder, the miraculous in order to have faith. As John uh, 20, Jesus reveals himself to Thomas who doubted Jesus' resurrection. Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who did not see yet believed. We're blessed when, when we believe having not seen. But the Jews only saw and they only sought the wonder and the miraculous. They said, hey, th this man, Jesus, I mean, he, he produces razzle, dazzle. There, there's fireworks in this guy's hand. So Jesus says to the man, the nobleman, who comes on behalf of his son, what do you want? He says, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to come down to Capernaum, to your home, you want me to stand over your boy, and you want me to do the miraculous, the wonder. He says, that's the story of you people. Unless you see signs and wonders, you don't believe. Every generation has the temptation to become obsessed with the wonders, but will not follow the signs. But I love this man, he's just not gonna be put off. Doesn't argue with Jesus. The man in a sense says, save the theological discussions, Jesus. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but I just need you to come to my home, I just need you to heal my boy, he's dying. So Jesus responds, and I want you to see this, he responds in a way that leaves this man totally speechless. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you twisted my arm enough, you've convinced me, I'll come to your home and I'll heal him. But rather, Jesus says in verse 50, go your way, your son lives. He tells the man, go home. Not only is Jesus not doing a wonder, there's no fireworks. There's nothing there's no wow, just the word. There's no experience, just a word. Just kind of maybe see Jesus, maybe, you know, standing there, hands in his pocket, maybe kind of rocking back and forth on his feet. And he just says to the man, go home. Your boy's alive and well. No wonder, no action. No explosions of almightiness. There's nothing to see. Jesus just says, go home. The problem is here, there's nothing to hold on to here. There's nothing to cling to. This man has to accept what Jesus says. And that's it. Just what Jesus says. No wonders, no miraculous, no signs.
And again, I say this can, can be upsetting because this man has come for the purpose of getting Jesus to come to his home and now he's got to go home with just Jesus' word. But the scripture thankfully says he believed the word that Jesus said. This man has now committed himself to the word Jesus spoke. And therefore Jesus began, he, he begins then to commit himself to the person of Jesus. He gives him the word, the man believes, he begins to commit himself to the person of Jesus. This is what I would call maturing faith. Now again, 20 miles is not really a long ways on a good horse. But I want you to notice in the story, the man doesn't even bother going home till the next day. That tells me something. He acted on that belief. He fully believed his son was alive and well. So much so, he didn't even feel the need to get back on that horse and to race home immediately. Basically, it sounds like he just got a motel room, spent the night, and just decided, I'll make my way home sometime tomorrow. No longer the distracted father. He's no longer distraught over whether his son is alive and well. He's got the word of Jesus. He can now relax. He knows Jesus said it. Your son is alive and well. So he just waits and ambles on home the next day. And as he goes home, it says the servants came out rushing to meet him, and they say to him the exact words Jesus said to him. They said, your son is alive and well. And the man, you can kind of just see the, the smile dancing on his mouth, and he inquires of them, what time was it that he started to get better? And they said, it was about one o'clock yesterday afternoon, and the man realizes it was that exact moment that Jesus said to him, your son is alive and well. He realized that Jesus' words had released power to do that healing. Jesus is life in the presence of death. And Jesus was victorious over death. And again, when they, when they hear the man's story and they hear his testimony and, and they kind of begin to weigh all of that out, it says now that not only had this man's faith come to maturity, but that faith of his whole household. In fact, that word there is that they put their complete faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. It's not just a matter of believing Jesus' word now. They have put their complete faith in him. Their faith in Jesus is no longer based upon the miraculous, the signs and wonders. It is based upon the words, the promise, the person of Jesus. Again, that is maturing faith. There comes a time where as believers, we have to recognize that miracles, signs, and wonders follow us. We don't follow them. Mark 16, 17 through 18 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And these signs shall follow, shall follow, shall follow, shall follow them that believe. 
In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. As believers, we're called to follow Jesus completely, steadfastly, to live a life wholly surrendered to him. And one of the results of that one of the manifestations of that is that miracles, signs, and wonders will manifest. It will follow those who do. We never follow after signs, miracles, and wonders because eventually they will lead you astray and they will weaken your faith. There are times where the only thing you're gonna have is God's word. And if the only thing you've got is God's word, it's all you need. Some of the greatest signs, miracles, and wonders are not what we have yet to see, but what we have already seen and have failed to recognize or appreciate. Salvation, I talked about that last week. That's the greatest miracle. How many of you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? That is miraculous. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? The life of God living in you? That's miraculous. No other religion on the face of the earth talks about that kind of a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, forgiveness, being the righteousness of God, being in right standing with God. Our daily bread, trusting God for our daily provisions. That's miraculous. Having a living relationship with the God of creation. That's miraculous. I stop and I think about that. And I'm just in awe. I'm in wonder of all of that. All the way down to just the simple day-to-day -day miracles that are all around us. Where I want to end this morning is I want to just encourage us here this morning I love what Callie kind of talked about, you know, how you have all of these things in the car. And, and, and again, there just comes a point where you begin to take it all for granted. I don't, I don't have a lot of amenities in, in my car. You know, so when I get in other people's and I'm able to take advantage of their heated seats and stuff, I, I get what Callie's talking about. And then I climb in my cold truck and I'm like, oh, I wish I had this. But there's still a part where I'm so grateful for what I already have. And again, oftentimes, I, I think that that's oftentimes why we don't uh, or aren't, aren't able to go into the, the, the further miraculous signs and wonders that, that God wants to manifest. It's because, again, we don't appreciate, we don't recognize, we don't thank God for the miracles, the wonders that he's already done. Sometimes it's just, it's just stopping and recognizing that. 
The other thing I want to just encourage us this morning the greatest, again, one of the greatest miracles is salvation. The other great miracle is we have God's word. Do you realize how many other countries in this world cannot say that? For, for them to even be gathering like we're gathering here this morning, it's a matter of life and death for them. For us, it's a matter, do I want to get up or do I want to sleep in? In some parts of the world, it is a matter of life and death. If I go, I could possibly be killed. I could possibly be imprisoned. I could be tortured for simply going to church, for having a copy of the scriptures. And again, oftentimes, because we've had so much freedom in this country, freedom to worship, freedom to have the scriptures, to read them, to publicly proclaim them, again, it's just so easy to just gloss over that, to minimize that, to take it for granted. What we're able to do here this morning, it truly is a miracle. It's for freedom that he has come to set us free. And I always, always wanna be a church that's always standing on the word of God, that we have the word of Jesus. Whether we've got the miraculous, the signs and the wonders, to me that we are grateful, that we are just in, in awe and wonder, that we have God's word, and if all we've got is God's word, that we are grateful, we're thankful for that. And then God begins to build on that. Next week, I want to just kind of start talking about the ingredients that I find in the uh, book of Acts in the New Testament church for where, for where the miraculous, for where the signs and the wonders really began uh, to move. That, to me, again, it's the sign of where God wants to take us. Um, and so I want to kind of just talk about that. But this morning, I want to just, again, emphasize just um, the promises of God, the word of God, that if all we've got is just Jesus' word and nothing else, I want you to know that is more than enough. Amen? Let's just stand together this morning. Father, again, I would just thank you that, Lord, we are a church. We, we desire, we want to see the, the miraculous. We want to see signs and wonders. But, God, we want them for your purposes, not our own. To see you glorified and lifted up, not men. That like that father that if all we have is just your word, that God, we can put our complete and total faith and trust in that. And that Father, you see that as maturing, as growing faith. And Father, again, I pray you'll just open our eyes to the miraculous, to the wonders, to, this, to, to all that you're doing that's all around us. It's been all around us. And yet, God, we've failed to appreciate, to give you thanks, to honor you for what you're, you're doing, what you've already done. And oftentimes, Father, just like in, in Jesus' day, 
he would do a, a miracle and then the people would get all excited and then the excitement would die off and then they'd want another miracle and there was just this cycle of that happening there. God, we want to just be satisfied with you. We want to be satisfied with Jesus. We want to be satisfied with your word. If there's nothing else, that God, we could have a maturing, growing faith individually as, as a community, as a body here this morning. And so Lord, I just pray you'll lead us and guide us into and through miracles, signs, and wonders that they would do what you want to do with those, not what we want to do with those, not what we want to see happen, but what you want to see happen. And Father, I pray, Lord, begin the miraculous within each one of us. Begin the healings within us. There's, there's many people here this morning who just need a healing touch from you this morning. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would begin to experience the miraculous in ourselves first, the healing power of God in ourselves first. And we thank you, Lord, for those areas, those people that you've touched, the sickness and the disease, Lord, the things that you've ministered to here, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, we just ask for greater demonstrations of that. But not at the sake of the word. Not at the, not at the cost of our satisfaction with you. Our love of you first and foremost. May that never, ever be set aside for something other, no matter what it is, that it would never be set aside to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love one another. That's what you call us to. That is the greatest commandment. It's not miracle signs and wonders. It's love of you, love of others. That is a miracle. So Father, we just pray, Lord, that you will guide our hearts, lead us in that direction. And Father, again, I just thank you so much for what you're doing here. We thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in us. I thank you for your word and your promises that are all yes and amen to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.